Good morning. I'm Annika Colbert. It's Tuesday, November 30th. What happens when police shoot at moving cars? More on that next, but first, let's do the headlines. There's growing concern about a new coronavirus variant reported last week in South Africa. President Biden has issued travel restrictions for non-U.S. citizens from South African countries. Still, two cases of Omicron virus have already been detected in Canada. Dr. Davy Smith is an infectious disease expert with UC San Diego Health. There is a very good chance that the vaccine does not work as well for this variant as it did for other variants. But of course, we're testing that out and we're looking to see if this is true. Health experts say the best defense is to get vaccinated. Meanwhile, federal officials are looking into potential boosters targeting the variant. In the meantime, San Diego County public health officials have updated their latest coronavirus data after the holiday break. They've reported 401 new COVID-19 infections on Monday and 10 additional deaths. San Diego City employees could be fired if they refuse to get vaccinated for COVID-19. The city council voted 8-1 to one on Monday to approve the vaccine mandate proposed by Mayor Todd Gloria. Police officers have the lowest vaccination rate among city workers at just under 63%. But council member Monica Montgomery Stepp says police in particular bear a responsibility to keep people safe. I have received uh, several videos from community members where they have been approached by officers who are unmasked. And it's very concerning to me that there's a one-third chance that the officer that they were approached by is not vaccinated. From KPBS, you are listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. Hello, podcast listener. Full disclosure, I'm going to make some assumptions about you. This probably isn't the only podcast you enjoy blink if I'm right. <laughs> it's probably not the only thing you watch or listen to on KPBS either. If I'm right about that, then I'm guessing you make it a point to check in on a regular basis to see what's new, take in the latest and greatest, and then you go back to your daily life until we happily come together again. We're sort of like a virtual buffet. When you're hungry for information and entertainment, you go to KPBS and want to eat, uh, consume all you can, right? Well, you should know that when you become a member of KPBS, you're keeping the entire TV, radio, and online trays full of fresh ideas, like the tasty podcast you're enjoying right now. Help feed your appetite for KPBS. Become a member today. Just go to kpbs.org, click the blue Give Now button, and make a donation. Thank you. Movies and TV shows can often make it seem like police pursuits and officers shooting at moving cars is a regular part of police work. But in reality, it's an incredibly dangerous practice and, for the most part, it's in violation of police department policies and state law. Yet KPBS investigative reporter Claire Tregesser found dozens of examples of police officers in San Diego County firing their weapons at moving vehicles. And a warning, this story contains graphic sounds and descriptions. On a cool day in January 2018, 32-year-old Jessica Turner stole a white pickup truck from the San Diego Convention Center parking garage. Unfortunately for her, San Diego police officers Darius Jimsechi and Angel Vidrios were in the vicinity. Barbara let it off, it's turning around. When Turner made a U-turn, 
Jamsechi jumped out of his squad car and ran toward her. Vidrios later described what happened. I saw her immediately gun it. She, uh, she gunned to the left around DJ and the other, and the Harbor Police vehicle. Jamsechi shot at her from the street. Vidrio shot at her through his windshield, shattering the glass. Thankfully, none of the shots hit the unarmed Turner, and she was arrested a few minutes later. The decision by those officers to shoot at a person in a moving vehicle is one of the most dangerous things they could have done. So says Travis Norton, an expert in how police use force. It's not going to stop the vehicle. The vehicle is going to continue to travel, and it could strike other people, and you could miss and hit somebody else in the public. If a bullet hits the driver, the car is likely to continue moving and crash. Bullets can also ricochet off the car or truck and put other lives at risk. This is why police departments ban these shootings except under narrow circumstances. But that reality hasn't stopped officers from firing shots at cars. Between 2012 and 2018, officers from San Diego County police agencies shot at people in cars 20 times or three times a year. Officers missed the driver eight times and once hit a passenger instead. Four of the drivers who were hit died and almost two thirds of the shootings resulted in the driver crashing the car. A new state law enacted in 2020 further restricts when shooting at cars is allowed. San Diego District Attorney Summer Steffen says it clears up any confusion. Now the standard is clear is that the person in the vehicle has to have committed a felony that, that includes a felony that has a, a potential for serious bodily injury or death. And that if you let them flee, they could commit, they could harm somebody by in a way that would result in serious bodily injury or death. The new law was not in effect in 2018 when the officers shot at Turner. But department policy was. It states officers shouldn't fire at a vehicle unless there's an immediate threat of death or serious physical harm to the officer or other persons. Still, neither officer was charged or disciplined. In fact, no officers from local departments have ever been charged for shooting at a car, and only one officer was disciplined. And in that case, it was because the officer accidentally fired his gun while approaching a suspect in a vehicle. Meanwhile, Turner was not only charged with stealing the truck, but also for using it as a deadly weapon because she drove it toward the officers. Records show that when officers are questioned after these shootings, they almost always tell investigators they fired because they felt threatened by the car. This should not be their first instinct, says Norton, the police trainer. If they can get out of the way, they should get out of the way. And because that vehicle is going to continue to travel, even though they shoot the driver, if they shoot the driver, very hard to shoot a moving target. The officers who shot at Turner were asked to justify their decision to shoot. If she was going to be going straight into traffic without looking, which could possibly cause a collision. We have a lot of motorcycles that go down harbor as well, so that could have been deadly. With that answer, Jamsechi did not clearly state that he felt the unarmed Turner posed an immediate threat of death as the department policy requires. 
But then Jamsechi's attorney from the police union cut in and elicited a more specific answer from him. If I may? Yes. What did you think would happen if that suspect vehicle got away? She was going to kill somebody else. That was reporting from KPBS investigative reporter Claire Tregesser. To search police records and see a map of where these incidents occurred, go to kpbs.org slash police records. Over the weekend, an appeals court granted an emergency injunction to stop the San Diego Unified School District vaccine mandate. But district officials now say they believe the injunction will soon be overturned. KPBS education reporter M.G. Perez has the latest. The appeals court granted the injunction on behalf of a Scripps Ranch high school student claiming a religious exemption from taking the COVID-19 vaccine, which the district does not allow. The plaintiff is among eligible students 16 and up required to be fully vaccinated by winter break. Paul Jana represents the student. I mean, we want to vindicate our clients' rights. If they called us today and said they're going to add religious exemptions to the mandate, I think we could work something out. Otherwise, we're going to pursue this case all the way to the Supreme Court. Late Monday, the district issued a statement by one of its attorneys that said, in part, we expect the court's brief order will be short-lived, and the primary takeaway is that the court appears poised to uphold the district's vaccination mandate in the face of numerous lines of attack. And that was KPBS education reporter M.G. Perez. San Diego researchers are celebrating the completion of a massive new simulation machine that will help scientists better understand the ocean. KPBS environment reporter Eric Anderson has more. Inside this 120-foot-long device, San Diego scientists will be able to recreate conditions found in the open ocean. Scripps Institution of Oceanography researcher Grant Dean says the machine allows oceanographers to study things that they currently can't. The waves affect the biology. The biology drives the chemistry. The chemistry impacts the bubbles in the foam. It's this beautiful and complicated system. Dean says the simulator can turn their miniature ocean environment hot, cold, calm, or stormy. Scripps atmospheric chemist Kim Prather says the device will help explain how the ocean system impacts the planet. There's a huge feedback between the ocean and the atmosphere, and that's what we're able to now study. Prather's research will be among the first projects to use the simulator next year. The device cost more than $4 million. And that was KPBS environment reporter Eric Anderson. Coming up... During the pandemic, many universities stopped requiring standardized test scores to apply for admissions, and some report they were pleased with the results. We also then realized that it actually ended up producing for us, and we enrolled probably one of the most talented classes we ever had in terms of their average grade point average. We grew our, our racial and ethnic diversity, um, which has been one of our goals. More on that next, just after the break. Hey, 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 this is Parker Edison, host of the Parker Edison Project on KPBS. The cool thing about joining KPBS is you make one simple donation, and that money ripples into supporting everything else you see and hear on KPBS, including podcasts like this one you're listening to right now, making a place for fresh voices and perspectives to be heard. And that's music to my ears. Become a member today. 
Just go to kpbs.org, click that blue Give Now button, and donate what you can. All right? Thanks. Spurred originally by the disruption of the pandemic, some local universities stopped requiring standardized test scores in admission applications. Initial data suggests the change played a role in increasing student diversity. But some schools want to see more information and data on enrollments before committing to eliminating standardized tests altogether. At least that's the case at the University of San Diego. Stephen Poltz is the assistant vice president of enrollment management at USD, he spoke with KPBS Midday Edition host Jade Hindman. Here's that interview. What is the University of San Diego's current policy when it comes to standardized testing? USD last year implemented a policy where we were not going to look at test scores at all, a policy typically called test-free in, in, the, uh, in the admissions world. And we've decided to um, continue that process for this upcoming class, the group that will join us in the fall of 2022. And when was that change made? Well, we've, we've been looking at the role of standardized tests for, for some time now. And in fact, back in March of 2020, just prior to when uh, the, the pandemic shut things down, USD, through an, an, after a long faculty committee and, and research, decided that we would join the growing movement of becoming test optional, which would mean we would give the choice of four students if they wanted to include their scores or not. Shortly after that, though, as the pandemic took hold and we realized the incredible unavailability of testing really globally, not just here in the United States, but test centers were closed and students just simply couldn't take the test, we made the decision that we would not look at test scores for the entering class of fall 2021. We, we didn't want students to either put themselves at risk. Certainly, they just couldn't get the exam and, and take the, the test. So we decided to go test blind. As we went through the process and we admitted this class that just joined us, we, we actually found to our, our delight, I think, that the, the tests really, you know, didn't, certainly we knew they didn't really add all that much to the process. That was the result of our, our faculty research and our, our own research on that, on that. But we also then realized that it actually ended up producing for us and we enrolled probably one of the most talented classes we ever had in terms of their average grade point average. We grew our, our racial and ethnic diversity, um, which has been one of our goals for, for a long time there. So we made the decision that we would continue that process and continue our admissions, our holistic admissions process without the test for another year as we continue to gather data about its effectiveness. So our decision really has gone back since 2020, but we have been reviewing it on an ongoing basis as we move forward. And you mentioned diversity increased. Uh, talk to me more about that. How did the testing policy change this year's incoming freshman class at USD? It changed in a number of ways uh, for us. First of all, we attracted uh, uh, students in, from a much wider pool in, in terms of uh, race and ethnicity. We saw big increases to the degree of about 20% increases in the number of applications we received from our, our Latinx students as well as our African-American students. Um, in the admissions process, we admitted more students of color than we, we ever had before. In fact, we admitted more than more than half of our, our students that we admitted were um, identified as students of color. And we ended up having the, the most racially and ethnically diverse class that we've ever had, close to 44% of our incoming class. Uh, again, were, um, were, were minority students. About 23% were Hispanic, about 4.5% were African-American, some of our highest totals that we've ever had. 
we've known for a long time there have been huge disparities uh, by race and ethnicity, as well as by family income and other measures on the on the test score. And I think not having the score allowed more students to feel like this could be uh, a possibility for them. And so it encouraged them to apply. And in our very holistic application process, it, it seemed certainly to, um, to, to provide more opportunity for students who might have been uh, closed out of the process earlier. Mm. And you, you touched on it a lot, but talk a little bit more about how the SAT and ACT can create barriers for some students um, in college admissions. The, the SAT, and, and I've been in admissions now for almost 40 years, and, and I, I've seen it become so really the almost the driving factor and kind of a centerpiece in a process that it, that it was really never intended to, to be. Um, test scores now have, have certainly become a proxy for many for academic quality. Um, they've been used as cutoffs for scholarships and, 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 and used in a lot of ways that they were never really intended to be used. We know they place an enormous amount of pressure on, on high school students. There's just, it seems to be such a high stakes game that you know, this one test that you take. And, and, and clearly the data shows that, uh, again, it, it, it favors those from families that, that make more money. Uh, those are, there's a lot of data that um, I think has come out that, that has really shown the kind of the, the inequities and the inequalities that, that the test has now become in this process. And so as a result, I think there's a lot of students who simply don't apply to selective schools because of their score. It's a, it's, it's a way for colleges and universities to really focus on, on measures that, that don't necessarily predict success in, in, in college. And again, there's a lot of great data out there and research that has shown that by far and away, how a student does day in and day out in the classroom, the courses they select, their grade point average, are, are far more effective at predicting how a student's going to do than, than test scores are. So I think that by, by not having test scores in the, in the process, it has really freed up not only the colleges to look at a wider variety of skills and talents and abilities, but it has also opened up more possibility for students to feel like they have an opportunity to get admitted to schools that they might not ever have applied to before. And like many universities, USD has not made a final determination as to the future of its testing policy. Explain to us what's being considered. We want to make this decision um, based based on data and, and based on student success. That, that's ultimately what, what the admissions process is, is to identify students who are going to be successful here and go on and, and graduate. And so to do that with this class that now started in, in September, we're going to look in, and analyze how, how well they did this first semester looking at their their grade point average in our, our first year core curriculum. We're going to look to see um, how that compares to, to students who were admitted previously. We're going to look to see how the students who were awarded merit scholarships, how they're faring in this process. We're gonna gather a lot of those data points and we hope that in the start of the new year, probably by 20 uh, January or February, uh, as we get ready to start to recruit the next year's class, we'll be in a position to make a, a, a longer term decision about what our testing policy is, but grounded in data, grounded in student success, and, um, and, and again, grounded in best practice that will help us achieve our goals as a university as well. And what are you hearing from prospective students about the change? I think it's been, I think it's been really positive, certainly from, from USD's perspective, not only from students, but, but also from the high school counseling community as well. One, one of the things that, that, that has kind of pushed us a little bit more in the direction of being test blind as opposed to test optional is one of the unintended consequences, I think, of the test optional, as many, many schools went down that road, again, given the, given the, the scarcity of availability of testing, is it, it sort of created, even though it was intended to maybe make the process easier, it, it has, in some cases, 
created even more anxiety uh, for, for, for students in the sense that now they're not sure if they should submit or not. Is it an advantage? Uh, I know they say it's optional, but maybe it's really to my advantage to submit the scores. And again, I think that that just sort of helps perpetuate some of the disadvantage of the disparities uh, that we've that we've seen in this process. So as we move forward, we're, we're really focusing more on, on just not requiring the test at all, taking out that that consideration and, and, and not having a student try to decide which is going to be the better option. But I think by and large, students have really found this to be a very, uh, a very liberating um, part of the process. It's really freed up the, the pressure that that just, you know, has really driven um, it, driven students and parents and certainly high school counselors, I, I think, has really added to, to the incredible stress that they're that they're under. Uh, and, and I think it's been really well received. Mm. And when will USD make a final decision on its testing policy? Yeah, we, we hope to gather all those data points that I mentioned um, probably in the start of the new year. And, and we want to do it in time for that next round of the next group of students who are going to be looking at school. So our we hope to be able to make a, a more longer term decision about our testing policy, probably in the February to March timeframe of 2022. And that was Stephen Poltz, the Assistant Vice President of Enrollment Management at the University of San Diego. He was speaking with KPBS Midday Edition host Jade Hindman. And that's it for the podcast today. Be sure to catch KPBS Midday Edition at noon on KPBS Radio or check out the Midday Edition podcast. You can also watch KPBS Evening Edition at 5 o'clock on KPBS Television. And as always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Annika Colbert. Thanks for listening and have a great day. KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego, offering the online Master of Data Science program, shaping the next generation of data-driven problem solvers. Learn more about the online Master of Data Science program from UC San Diego at omds.ucsd.edu.